Thanks for stopping by. I'm Corey Edwards, writer, director, comedian, bad card player. I uh, don't know what it is. My wife keeps trying to teach me more and more card games, and I am just not good at it. Maybe it's because I got a bad poker face. My, 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 my poker face is terrible. It's always like, oh, when I get a card. <laughs> and also, uh, I'm like Andy Dwyer when I get a good hand. Uh, we've been rewatching uh, all of the Parks and Rec shows with our kids who are now old enough to watch them. And uh, Andy Dwyer. Oh my gosh, what a character. Anyway, anyway, I'm not a good card player. I uh, I have to keep being reminded throughout the card game of what the rules are for gin rummy or poker or whatever they're trying to teach me. Uno is my speed. Uno. Go fish. Um, sabak. I'll play a good game of sabak. You nerds know. If you know, you know. Um, so, hey, we uh, we talked about Indiana Jones and we've had an Indiana Jones week and that culminated with Indiana Jones 5. I don't think anybody calls it that. Indy, Indy 5? Indy with a V at the end? Indive. No, that's terrible. The Dial of Destiny. What was the destiny of this movie? Well, I'm going to have my, uh, my co-host from last week, my guest, Todd Edwards, writer-director, brother, uh, and indie super fan. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about, well, we finally saw the new movie. What do we think of it? But as I, one of the things that I, I will talk about is the balance of characters in, in the movie. And uh, as I take this little segment here to kind of prompt any creative people who are listening, um, when you are creating a story, um, this is particularly for you writers out there of fiction or screenplays. I do this with my own work. I take a step back and it's not just the central character, the main focus of the story, but what, what balance do you need around that character? What other characters will be most helpful in the story? Uh, you, you, of course, you have a villain who is the antithesis of the hero, but I'm talking about like like the group of friends or the group of um, just the forces around that main character that push and shove that character that even help define what kind of person that character is. Um, so, you know, my uh, one of my sons uh, came to this epiphany recently I think there was a meme out there because uh, that's all my kids do now is communicate in memes. They're like, picture, 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 text, picture, text. No real communication, just memes. It's a it's a strange new tribe of only memes. But there is a meme that shows, you know, that in every pairing, in every duo that we love, there's usually a tall, skinny guy and a short, fat guy. Or it's like a tall egg shape and a short, round circle shape. You can see it in uh, Bob and Larry and Veggie Tales. You can see it in Monsters Incorporated with uh, Sully and Mike Wazowski, um, Ernie and Bert, Laurel and Hardy. Uh, you know what? If you're tall and skinny, look around. You probably have a best friend who's short and heavy. It's just the way the world works. I think it's the way our story minds work. And uh, Frog and Toad. I was very close to making a Frog and Toad movie uh, for a while. And I used to say there's always in a best friendship of two friends. There's always a frog and always a toad. And that can mean a lot of things if you've ever read those books. But also visually, I think in animation, we look at the silhouettes of characters. So that's where it starts. But as you look at those two silhouettes of a tall and a short, or you look at a group of friends, I love a lot of ensemble uh, stories. I'm currently working on one with a kind of a fellowship, an ensemble of characters on a journey you got to look at not just the shapes and sizes of them, which will be visually pleasing, but also I, the shapes of their personalities, if I can get that 
abstract. Um, so, you know, if you have a character who is uh, very driven, and this is in Parks and Recreation that we're watching right now with our kids, uh, you know, uh, Leslie Nope, she's very driven, she's very bright, she's very good at her job. And then around her, she has people who are very bad at their job, or they don't care about their job. Ron Swanson, I see you. Uh, I see your mustache. Um, but then you also have, when, when, when Leslie is out on the town, she's very socially inept. That's where she's out of her element. So then some of those characters that are bad at their jobs, they're great at being social. Like Tom, you know, or um, uh, uh, Retta. She's she going to treat yourself. Uh, she gets out there and she loves to party. So some of the people that love to party and are, are great socially, and then, and then she's not. So everywhere you go, you kind of have this, this balance. So I want you to look at your characters and see where are they off balance. And it might just be giving them a better uh, best friend or sidekick or even antagonist. And, and by antagonist, I don't mean just the villain. I mean maybe a frenemy or a best friend who always nudges them to do the stuff they don't want to do. You've just got to have that oil and water um, to make it an interesting story. And honestly, to make your main character more interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of Kermit the Frogs and Luke Skywalkers out there, a lot of Harry Potters who need their Hermiones and their Rons, you know, who need their Fozzie Bears. You, 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 I think you see what I'm saying. I just love naming lots of characters. But if you look at a, a successful group of characters in a successful story that we revisit again and again and again, I couldn't say the word again, uh, you are going to see that balance. You're going to see the yin and the yang. And, and maybe it's not even a balance between two characters, but four or five characters who all push and shove each other around in a very delightful way. Um, so uh, I'm not saying that we, you know, maybe that's true in our real relationships, that we have people around us that push and shove us in a good way. And uh, I, I think that also uh, when you're looking for a spouse, don't look for somebody who's just like you. It's not going to work. God knew that we needed somebody opposite us. I just think he did. And, you know, that's why men are always trying to figure out women because we push and shove each other into the best versions of ourselves that we can be. I think that that's the way we we create a group of characters. And I think that as we create and write our own stories, we kind of see how we were created and why we are pushed into situations and why we put ourselves in situations and around people that we do. It's very interesting. When you create, you kind of look at yourself as a creation and you're like, oh, this is what's happening in my story. Anyway, balance. Look at balance when you look at your characters. If something's not working in your story or your character is just something off, you might add another character. You might even add a cute little squeaky nonverbal character. I mean, there's room for R2-D2s. There's, there's room for those funny little pets and things you see in movies. Um, because just when you need that flavor, just when things are getting too much exposition, too much heroic dialogue, you've got the funny guy or the funny pet to take the wind out of their sails or to just give the audience a, a weird non sequitur. You know? I mean, we have Anchorman, but we sure need Brick. There, that's that's the last movie I'll visit right now. Now let's visit Indy V. I'm sorry, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. What did Todd think and what did I think? Let's find out. He's back with the hat. He's back with the whip. And he's older than ever before. Maybe older than your grandfather. It's Indiana Jones 5, The Dial of Destiny. I'm back with Todd Edwards. And uh, let's see if the results are in. I've heard, you know, 
we both heard uh, uh, things across the board. People love it. People hate it. Hey, welcome, welcome uh, yourself to your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of love for this movie. Uh, I, I think there's been an uptick uh, since it came out, where you see um, there's some real advocates and lovers and and evangelists for the movie. <laughs> so they're out there like telling everyone to go see it. So that's been kind of cool to see. Well, I, I think that it's interesting. We It's unavoidable to battle this psychological phenomenon. And it happened with the Star Wars movies. It happens, I think it happens when something goes away for a while and comes back. We talked about it with Avatar. Um, people are kind of, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed with their nostalgia for it. And they're also overwhelmed with their resistance to like it again. All that stuff. Yeah, the expectations are like, through the roof there's like a yeah and, and with some of these properties a handful of properties like the expectations are even higher um and it's like there's just a lot going on you know people are bringing different um i don't want to say baggage but just like uh you know expectations and various levels of you know which ones they love what are the aspects of the series that they want to see and um yeah so it, we've cut this one has really, it's, it's kind of been all over the place, uh, but I, I kind of see a, um, I know that the, the movie opened a little soft, has been the report, but it also sounds like it's kind of had legs a little bit, like, like it's not, it wasn't like a big drop off after the, after the opening weekend. So I've seen, I've read some analysis where people are saying, hey, you know, there, there are other hit movies that started a little soft uh, in recent years that, that, that managed to truck on all, all their way up to like, you know, a pretty big box office. So I don't know that it, the story's over yet for this one, but we're just gonna have to see what happens with it. Well, the industry has kind of built itself to be obsessed with the opening box office or the first week. And we're caught up in that too. Anytime you, you work on a project, you, you really watch those first numbers, but we don't give movies a chance to appreciate over time anymore. And a lot of, I think, our favorite movies we can look back on, you know, Office Space is a really famous one that was a bomb that is probably one of the yeah. most successful comedies of all time now. So it's 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 I hope this appreciates. I think I I, I, I think we're we haven't shared much over text so we can talk here. Yeah. But I think we're we're probably landing the plane in, in the same spot. But yeah, I'll let you go first. Well, let's see. Let's start with things we liked. Well, well and the other thing I'll say is like, like I know that the issue with this movie is it's ex it, it was an extremely expensive movie. And that so like, I'm having a hard time understanding. I was watching yeah. it going, and we'll talk about the end. The end gets pretty big, but like, really? Yeah. What, was it like almost 300 mil? Yeah. I mean, I guess those New York scenes also aren't, aren't so easy to pull off. Um, and, you know, and I, I read a pretty interesting analysis that said, you know, adjusted for inflation, the original Raiders, if made today, would have been made for sixty-five million, and adjusted for inflation, it would have had a box office of a billion. So, wow! You know, it, if you compare it to that, then you can see that this one is not—it's a different story. But uh, I guess that's part of our. I was going to say, like the the thing that struck me with this movie is that um, the the industry the story of the film industry is being written every day and every week. It, 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 you know, like, like when I got into this business, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but there's kind of a, um, 
you're, you have to be open to the idea that like it's sort of history in the making. And the thing that worked last year isn't necessarily going to work this year. And so it, it, it's kind of fascinating. And, and there is some, um, there, there's an aspect that's a little bit, uh, I don't, I don't know if grim's the word, but like the, the, the landscape is just changing, uh, quickly. And there's, you know, it's like, it's like Pixar's having problems. With right. Well, you know, you, you talked last week about peril in these movies, how the degree of peril, this is a perilous yeah. business to be in. Um, yeah. as far as to look at any, any movie and the business as a whole over one year, five years, 10 years, it is a perilous business model. That is, I mean, it is like, it's like you're taking a hike to a mountain that keeps moving. And, and and the ground under you keeps shifting in elevation. It is constantly yeah. changing. And, you know, you find yourself kind of re rewriting projects constantly based on sort of, you don't want everything to be reactionary, but, there, there you know, sometimes, you know, you, you can just see a shift happen within, within you know, one season. Right. Of, well, that's, that's of, kind of, you know, yeah. I want to talk about the movie and get into it and, and yeah, yeah. maybe start with some general statements get specific. And this is where I will say to everyone listening, this is a spoiler filled conversation. This is a conversation about a movie that we hope you've just walked out of, or you've just seen, because if you haven't seen it, we're going to ruin everything for you. So be advised. So we'll get into the details. And then um, I do want to talk about this genre. Uh, this is a character and a genre that was white hot and exciting in 1980 to 1987, maybe. And, 89. Yeah, and and it is a genre that has been reclaimed by the Mummy movies, um, it, it, and and a couple other movies, maybe Jumanji, but Jumanji is kind of a rock and roll version of this. So I wanted to talk about the adventure genre. Is it dead? Is it too old fashioned? Is it is it something that needs to be looked at in a different way? Because Indiana Jones, I think what we want, at least what I wanted, was I want the old Indiana Jones. But does a fifteen year old want that? I don't know. Yeah, well, I saw the movie with a couple of 16-year-olds. Okay. Um, our youngest son and my wife, were uh, they had something else to do that night. So we, uh, uh, my son Linus and I ended up going with a buddy of his and, and his buddy's dad. So it was two uh, adult men and two teenagers. And um, I, I think we all had our critiques, but overall, when the credits started rolling, it was kind of all thumbs up for everybody. Um, uh, and uh, I think we want to start with the positives. Yeah, I think this movie did do a lot of things right. Um, and overall, I, I was very happy with it. I, you know, I'm I'm kind of B plus happy right now as I think about it over days. Yeah, I mean, it's it, they took a big swing in terms. Of, you keep hearing about the big swing of the finish. It's like, really, have you not seen one of these movies before? Like I. In some ways, I expected something crazier because I I had sort of heard it built up in terms of like what happens in the third act is crazy and you just got to go with it. Um, and that part was I, I I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but like that I was pleased with that whole thing. And yeah. In fact, I expected something even maybe more unhinged. I as soon as I figured out there was a time travel element, you know, you try to avoid spoilers, but sometimes yeah, like the, these things just come out. Uh, uh, you can like accidentally read something and then you just know a lot about the oh, movie man. all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, well, it makes sense. The dial of destiny is like some kind of time travel thing. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of made sense. I thought this was a great MacGuffin. Um, 
and as far as the final adventure of Indy, it, it was really intriguing to me going in the idea like, okay, you know, I, I think the only, um, the only uh, prize that we ever saw uh, Indy get in any of the films was the cross of Coronado. Uh, you know, oh my gosh, that's right. He kind of loses everything. <laughs> he loses everything else, at least as far as the movies go. And uh, obviously, uh, he he had to uh, to have a successful career. He's he's got he's he's gotten a lot of uh, prizes that uh, weren't in the movies, but that's not as exciting. You know, see, it's kind of an ongoing theme of indie of having to let go of you know the disappointment of like losing the the thing and like choosing the right path and. You know, even from uh, the very first movie, it was always like, choose Marion or choose the Ark. And yeah. he keeps choosing the Ark. Uh, you know, even, you know, the famous scene where he's like, puts the gag back in her mouth and says, I'll be back to get you. I, uh, you know, like, it's all about getting the Ark. And, and um, yeah, so that's then finally interesting the end, Yeah. So like, we, we've seen this theme with him. So when I heard this was a time travel thing, I seriously, <clears throat> I thought they were going to go full full uh, end game with it. I thought it was going to be, you, you know, like how those guys, you know, Tony Stark and, and uh, Captain America, you know, they, 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 the gang goes on this time travel adventure and we kind of see highlights of things that were both in the movies and then things that were even like in between the movies or before the movies. And just in my mind, I thought, oh, my gosh, are they going to do that? Is this Dial of Destiny? Are we going to get this crazy second half of the movie where Indy, you know, it, it, like, like instantly I'm like, okay, the bad guys, Matt Mikkelsen, like, you know, he's a Nazi who it's kind of like the Dr. Strangelove character. You know, he's a Nazi who's been hired by the U.S. government because he's a scientist. That, that's a great bad guy. Um, and uh, and really honestly, as browbeaten as I get by producer notes about we've got to know the bad guy's plan right away. We're on page 15. We should know that we didn't know this bad guy's plan till just before the climax. And that but you kind of you kind of. Well, I mean, we in general knew, OK, Nazi with time travel, that will be bad. But it's like, yeah, he wants. To, oh, my gosh. He wants to kill Hitler because he wants to be Hitler. He wants to replace yeah. Hitler and win World War Two for the Nazis. That's a big that's big stakes. I was impressed. With yeah. That. Yeah. And so I, I, a lot of the things we discussed last week about sort of our issues with, with crystal skull, I do think that this movie, this, this team was well aware of the, all those issues. And I think they kind of overly corrected in some areas. Like I think the main things we talked about was peril. Um, this movie does have a lot of peril. It's in some ways it goes pretty dark with the villains um, yeah. So like they, you definitely felt uh, the bad guys were not arbitrary um, comic characters. They, they brought some some menace with them. Well, right and off the like, bat, they kind of gunned down yeah. the two people in Indy's in Indy's uh, workplace that that had speaking lines. The, the, the two professors <laughs> that the two people at Harsh. the college where he worked at. I'm like, oh, yeah. we're, we're getting to know them. That doesn't seem good that we're getting to know them. And then these like you know, Nazi sympathizers or, or Nazi double agent CIA guys, they're just gunning people down. And Indy is wanted for murder. That kind of propels him to right this wrong because he's Pretty wanted harsh. for murder. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, I got some thoughts on that, but I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to that in, in, in a few. Um, 
I think we should hit the, the the opening sequence first. Okay, so I saw this in IMAX. So did they've I. Got some new I. Yeah, they've got these new IMAX rooms over in uh, at the Americana, um, which is like a big um, fancy outdoor mall here in the area in Glendale. And yeah. so we drove over there, and it's like, whoa! I, I was like, IMAX? They have IMAX at Americana? Well, they're they're new rooms. And so we go in there and. Um, someone who works there comes in and says, hey, we're having trouble uh, piping in the trailers. So we're just going to start the movie right at, you know, a, a, a seven o'clock or whatever. So we're all just sitting there in like this awkward silence, no music, no trailers, no nothing. And it, it, and we're just making chit chat. And then finally the movie starts and they, they accidentally uh, thread this thing up. I, I don't know how it works, if it's digital or whatever, but for whatever reason, they start the movie about a minute in. Oh, no. And yeah, and the crowd goes crazy. Didn't we see like a screening of Phantom Menace where they made a similar mistake? I think it was where, when they when they brought Star Wars back to the theaters, they did like a re-release. And I don't yeah, know, I was at a screening effects. where the sound was wrong. It was it was the sound was off for the first two minutes. Yeah. And then we they turned it on training. like with only front speed. It was terrible. Yeah. People went nuts. So it was kind of funny that we had been sitting in this theater for a half hour and then all of a sudden this image just pops on and like the crowd went crazy. And so they shut it off. They turned it on again. Anyhow, they finally got it right and went back to the beginning. And, and uh, so we did see it from the beginning, but it was kind of crazy to just be slammed into it like that. <laughs> and I got to say, um, I'm really curious to watch this thing again to kind of see how it feels on a, on a second viewing. But right off the bat, like the world that they plunged us into felt very rich, um, in my opinion. Like, like the, the castle setting and just the, the sound mix was amazing. You know, they were just really hitting it on all cylinders. Yeah, well, what's unique uh, is that we talked about the, chron the, the the chronology that's been forced on Indiana Jones. Oh, I wish we could just stay in that kind of World War II zone. And that's what they did. They, they gave us a little taste of that. Yeah, and <clears throat> so the big issue here is, uh, and we could probably talk about this for a whole hour, um, this technology of the de-aging. Let's talk um, about young Indy. There's a lot of controversy, a lot of opinions flying around about it. And I got to say, I am, I can see both arguments. I'm kind of in the middle on it. What are your thoughts? <laughs> um, here's what I'll say about the shots. And to be brutal, I was surprised at how not good some of the shots were. Um, yeah. Some shots were great. Some shots, some shots were great. Some shots were not great. And because of my evaluation of, is this shot great? Is this shot great? I was really taken out of the movie because I, I had a hard time. I was evaluating young Harrison Ford. And yeah. It is amazing. <laughs> I realized how familiar we all are with Harrison Ford's face. He, he has we one of the most photographed well. faces in cinema history. So if this yep. was... Uh, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, we watch Mark Ruffalo as a CGI Hulk face all the time. And that is very easy to watch. Why is this so difficult to watch? Because uh, I am, I am literally watching the pliability and elasticity of his face in every shot. I'm like, are his eyes right in this shot? And I think if we adjust as we did in the olden days, cast a younger actor as we did with River Phoenix, what if we found like a, yeah. a 30, 20 to 30 year old actor just for the scene? I would go at first. I'd go, "Oh, holy crap! Young actor, can I get used to him as Indy? I know I'm going to see Do your math, though. You know, 
do your math though. In 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 nineteen in nineteen forty four or whatever, he would be more like mid forties. Okay, well mid forties. Yeah. So uh, it, I, we're I, I was like, oh, Harrison's. I'm thinking he's looking pretty good. He uh, in the timeline, I think he's pushing fifty here, and he he's looking pretty good. All right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but classic indie. But yeah, that's one of the arguments. I I saw a really good point someone made. It's like we never would have gotten. Robert De Niro uh, as Don Corleone flashbacks in Godfather Part Two, right? Um, you know, which was a big building block of De Niro's career. Yeah. So it's like if he, if he hadn't been cast, you know, it, this is just tricky because we're at this moment in history with the tech where I get the temptation to 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 do it, and like I. I was excited to see it. I just wish it had been. It was very exciting, better. but it was weird how it kind of felt like the most expensive, um, you know, like when, when you, when you're, what, what do they call the bits of story on a video game? Right. The most you, expensive cinematic ever. Yeah. Within like, like this, like as, as a scene, as a story, uh, I thought it was really good. Uh, the idea of plunging us into this, you know, this castle with all the artifacts and like the whole gag with like the bomb and the well, him, uh, hey, let, yeah. Let me as we keep this positive. Like I, I saw it with my family and my my two kids. You know, Elliot said I really like that opening uh, sequence. There were a lot of cool ideas, like the fact that he is being hung by his neck saves him. Everybody else falls through the floor, and he is doing this all these gags where he's swinging from the rope. And I wish I could enjoy. All of the interesting ideas like that, but I was still evaluating Young Indy. Yeah, so I mean, it, it definitely like begs to be watched again. Uh, for those of us who have trained eyes, I mean, you don't have to be in the industry to have a trained eye. Like we all are so savvy now with the way these visual effects are. Um, I'm wondering if part of it is because I was seeing it in IMAX. You right. just get every little pixel. You know, right. You're watching the thing and like. 8K resolution or whatever it is. And, and so like, I'm just thinking like, when this thing is streaming six months from now, are these shots gonna look better? Um, but but as a story, you know, the idea of him going through the train cars and all of that, like, oh man, there were some parts where it just felt like as classic, it was just some good choices. Like, yeah. like you know, and, and then like the way we end up in the car and he gets his hat and then like the whole bit up on, the, on when they get up on the roof. I mean, it was just a good classic Indiana Jones opener. Um, it, the sound was great. Uh, so anyhow, all that to say, you know, you're kind of watching it with two tracks. You know, you're watching story and sort of cinematic vision. And then you're also watching this very specific visual effect. And that's the part that kind of made it um, like, like the, the thing I kind of walked away with was like, couldn't we have done half as many shots? Yeah. Why do we need so many? I mean, that was kind of my feeling of like the Moff Tarkin and, and, and Princess Leia in Rogue One. Right. It's like, do we need, do we, you know, like in the case of this sequence, there might have been 30 extreme close-ups of this visual effect. I'm like, why? How about 15? And then do the rest in wider shots. Well, and the nature you of know, Indiana like, Jones, and I'll tell you, I was also doing my little uh, Spielberg and Mangold um, yeah. flip-flop. I was like, what would Spielberg have done here? Uh, in the rewatch of the films, Indy is always introduced so iconically. This was a pretty iconic reveal when the when the bag gets pulled off his head. That's and, a good shot when the bag comes off. I mean, it's in all the trailers. Yeah, but Indy is that, so that so constantly revealed, like, or, or he's used in shadow and silhouette, and they could have done a few of those. I think they could have shrouded him more. Um, 
And then the other thing is just technique. I mean, I, my understanding, uh, and I'm not an expert, but I think there's two different ways that they approach de-aging. One is, I think the Irishman way, which is they literally build uh, a CG, you know, model of the, of the actor. I mean, I know they did this with Harold Ramis for Ghostbusters. Yeah. And there's, there are a lot of people out there who are just like, mortified and I, I i i can see the argument of like uh this is scary times if we're just think we can just bring these actors back from the dead right um, i think that's a different thing it, too that's puppet it's a different a thing yeah and like you got to have like the whole uh estate of the person on board and, and we're, we've entered an age where i think actors need to write it into their wills <laughs> their contracts right you know like when i'm giving my image over like what can you do with it um, and in this, yeah, and in this case, Harrison Ford, I've seen him in interviews saying, I performed this. And so you feel like it's him trying to give us the best performance he can through this technology. Yes. But so, so like, I think that what they went with on this one was not the building the model, the CG model of the young version. I think this was more the AI approach, which is, you know, train the computer on all of the you know, hundreds of hours of his face that Lucasfilm has in their database. And so the AI is kind of just like learning it. But when you have a, you know, a 78 year old actor, however old he was when they shot this, just there's going to be some physicality that is just different. And I, 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 again, I'm not an expert, but I'm wondering if there's a guy on uh, who's done all these TikToks where he like imitates Tom Cruise. Right. And I, I think the actor probably looks a lot like Tom Cruise. He has like the same hair, the same build. And uh, granted, this is just on your phone. I haven't seen any of these images in IMAX, but some of that stuff looks shockingly real. Like we need to put some laws in place. Right. Uh, like if I, was Tom, if I was Tom Cruise or they do it with Keanu Reeves too, I would have a yeah. problem with that. I would, I would yeah. try to be cool about it, but then I would start to say, you know, now let's stop doing that because that's my, if I'm, if my face, if I saw myself doing stuff I didn't do, I'd have a problem yeah. with it. Well, let's develop at least some kind of like little stamp that says like, you know, not real or whatever. Uh, but having said that, like the first time I saw, it's crazy how fast this tech is, is going because I think it's only been about two or three years since this deep fake stuff really started to kick in. Um, I watched that entire Keanu Reeves one before, like right towards the end. I was like, "Wait, something's fi- something fishy is going on here." Uh, and then, and then it's like they revealed as the deep pick. I was like, "Oh crap!" Like we've kind of entered a new era here because uh, I didn't realize what was going on at first. I thought they just had Keanu doing a, a cameo, but you know that was on a, a on a phone. So on an IMAX screen, you know maybe you can see behind the effect a little more. But I was just sitting there wondering, like, oh, could is there a version of this where maybe, you, you know, I get that like Harrison is so iconic. We know the original trilogy so much, like, unless you do just a rip the bandaid off, like we're recasting, this is a new actor. Unless you do that, like this could have been a handoff movie. You know, Disney could have found that next actor. Yeah. We could have done the handoff, you know, but like, it's weird because we are at this time where this technology is right on the on the bubble of like of like being extremely believable. And so I, I kind of like there's part of me. It's like, well, I've seen what happened be- from Jurassic Park 
to the present, like we've seen this insane, uh, like dress Park holds up like shockingly well, but I think it's because you had ILM just like throwing everything at that. You know, it was like this groundbreaking, you know, all the R&D and effort that went into that. Like it, it's amazing how much it holds up, but it was this very savvy, it was Steven Spielberg, one of our best directors, just like cleverly, uh, 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 combining um, these physical, you know, they, they built these T-Rexes that were like, you know, like a million dollars each or whatever, these giant mechanical uh, T-Rex. And then like the legs were CG on some of the shots. Well, you know, and so also it's like, it's like, it's like the, the guy we talked about, Todd, uh, Todd Vaziri on uh, Twitter, yeah. uh, VFX guru. Yeah. He said, it's, as he constantly says, it's all about shot design. It's all about lighting. It's all about, uh, you know, Robert Shager. Robert Shazer, yeah. who worked on Hoodwink with us, he's like, the more you keep things in shadow, the better your your creature looks. So I know I know Harrison Ford's not a creature, but there's a lot of fully lit shots of him, and that is a high wire act. Whereas like Jurassic Park holds up because, first of all, we all have our own interpretations of what a T Rex or a Raptor looks like. You know, yeah. it's not Harrison Ford's face, and they're running yeah. in and out of shadow, and the shot design is yeah. is guaranteed to kind of hide and provide a lot of places for the VFX guys to do what they do. So I'm almost wondering if they could have, so maybe the, for this movie, uh, maybe the, 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 the compromise would be like, let's find, uh, you know, that, that 40 year old actor who looks a heck of a lot like Harrison Ford and maybe even could perform the voice. And then we have Harrison on set and he's basically consulting and like, maybe he's doing like, um, sort of like reference takes <laughs> so we kind of see what he's doing with it and basically we're using his face performance putting I, I think they did a little of that but like where we're basically like grafting classic harrison ford from the 80s 90s onto um a young actor a, a younger actor that is kind of performing it so i, I think that's kind of how i think that's kind of how they've been doing luke skywalker in the in the couple of times in the mandalorian um, yeah but yeah but I, 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 i'm sorry the point i was getting at with jurassic and then like we went through this era of just really bad cg and and the public has just gotten so you know, we touched on this with the last episode like the public is so ignorant <laughs> generally speaking about cg how everyone's just like bad cg too much cg it's like well you know in nightmare alley when they're doing the uh polygraph test on bradley cooper they don't even have a freaking prop there because that prop probably would have cost a hundred grand to build it's cg and it looks like a it looks like an in-camera it's like you you watch the movie you're not thinking that that lie detector is a you know what i'm saying like and there's all kinds you know there's cars that are replaced there are buildings that are replaced in all these movies that you just you know you can go on youtube and watch these things and uh, anyone who's in the know, it, it, so I, I mean, this is kind of my rant. Like, you got good artists with good taste and good directors. CG is like a, a tool like we've never had before. So, like, when it comes to this argument of like the de aging, is it bad? Is it good? Like, I, I'm just kind of like, well, five years from now, you're not going to be able to tell. And like, I, 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 there was so much to love about this opening sequence that I. I said to our gang as we left the theater, I said, man, I would love to see a re-release in five years where they just touch up some of these effects. Because some of the shots, when he's like on the train and he's got like the Nazi helmet on and he like walks up to camp, 
like some of them are like dead on and i felt the magic of like oh my gosh i just got transported uh, i'm in the late 80s and i'm watching an indie movie that that i missed something right and i think you know, that those and, and, again yeah. those are those shots with like that shrouded kind of noir lighting on him i think that also reminds yeah. you of the original spielberg film uh, the the original raiders introduction of him is is in this noir lighting and i i think that yeah. that helped anyway yeah. so I, I was very like uh on board uh and i you know like we like we said we want to love these things when we go in and like as a sequence as a scene i thought it was pretty killer yeah um, i thought they were doing everything right i just think the technology is not quite there on some of this stuff yeah when that when that crane arm hits mads mickelson holy cow i was like how did that not kill him or the next time we see him, is he going to have like a caved-in skull? No, he, he yeah, recovered quite right. nicely from that. Yes. And you can't beat Toby Jones. You always got to have Toby Jones in something. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and so like I, I, I think that they, that as I've talked about it with Linus, my son, and as I've thought about it, um, I think the strengths of this movie. I think the, we we agree that the opening, uh, we, you know. Technology uh, uh, um, challenges uh, aside, it was a great opening. And I, I loved, okay, so last week I, I hadn't seen the movie yet. And I, I assumed, because I saw an interview with Harrison Ford where he was describing, the, he was kind of spoiling the opener. He kind of gave like a <laughs> rough version of like, we catch up with him 30 years later. And uh, there's an iconic song. We paid a million dollars for that song. Well, I assumed he was talking about Sympathy for, for the Devil by the Stones, because that's what they used in Trailer 2, which was great, a great trailer. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, it was Magical Mystery Tour by the Beatles. Okay, so when he wakes up and we see old man Dr. Jones in New York City in 1969, and they break into Magical Mystery Tour, I thought it was pretty amazing. Like, like that song, the idea of like, like, what are we in for? He's, he, you know, like he's about to go on a magical mystery tour. And that's <laughs> what all of these. So at that moment when he, he grabs the bat and he's like banging on the door and the, you know, the door opens, you see all the hippies in there and it's <laughs> the moon landing. And like, I just thought that that was such a great scene. Um, I, I, it, like they were hitting on something fresh and it was kind of like, okay, this is the director of Logan. Like he's telling us a story about a different point in this character's life. And it's not a story we've seen before. So that was pretty exciting to me. And I, I don't know, I just love that song and I hadn't heard it in years. Uh, it, I listen to the Beatles all the time, but for some reason that one hadn't come up in a long time. So it was just like this fresh kind of vibe that they were like tapping into. Yeah. And it is booming uh, when it comes on, man. And that IMAX theater where i was in too it is booming yeah it's and, not um, like anything we've seen in indie uh before well the whole new york setting i i i was in, I, it was interesting and it was fresh but i remember once we finally got to morocco or wherever the first location was we kind of left modern times again we kind of left we kind of got back into the adventure realm yeah. and i was like oh i'm so glad to i wanted to get out of there soon yeah, um, because I it was feeling like a different movie than an Indiana Jones movie until they right. got there. But well, but yeah, can I, can I can I pitch you my rewrite? Yeah, do it, do it. I got one too. I got a big idea, but go ahead. My rewrite. If if uh, why didn't they? Why didn't you come to me, guys? Um, <laughs> I'm available. Uh, 
uh, the shingles out front of my shop, uh, yield rewriter. Um, yeah. Now, like overall, great MacGuffin, really good villains. Mad Mikkelsen, great. Uh, Phoebe, uh, always enjoyable. Good, good uh, sidekick, uh, sort of with uh, shades of gray. Um, yeah. And Harrison Ford, great. Harrison Ford, a great screen presence as the older man. Uh, so I think. I, I, I was thinking, like, what if instead of this whole one and for murder plot, what if we just go back to the original formula of Raiders where uh, he needs money, uh, you know, uh, like, like for whatever reason, he's at a point in his life where something went wrong and he like lost money. And like, like, like basically Phoebe comes to him, his goddaughter he hasn't seen in years and says, hey, kind of in a skull island type of setup. It's like, I've got this group that uh, we're going to thus and such mysterious island. And, you know, almost like, uh, I don't know, Skull Island was kind of a forgettable movie, but as a modern blockbuster, they did a lot of things right. Yeah. In terms of just like, you know, this interesting cast of characters, you know, Shades of Predator, uh, you know, get all these guys on a plane and there's like, you know, 15 people on this private plane going to this mysterious island looking for the dial of destiny and Harrison Ford, you know, Indy is brought on you. He's just retired. He needs money and he's a consultant and he's just like the guy in the back of the plane. And then because of the magical properties of this Island or whatever, they end up crash landing. And so we kind of get a little flavors of temple of doom. You know, we're on this booby trap Island and basically it's the same plot. But it's not till we go along that we start to realize that there's a faction of the group that is the Nazis. And then, like, he starts to recognize Matt Mikkelsen, but it's been 30 years and maybe he has a mustache now. And it's like, that guy is a Nazi. I met him 30 years ago, briefly. You know, and then so then you have a point in the story where half the group turns out to be bad guys and uh, half of them are in Team Indy. And, like, the old man who was at the back of the plane, who just seemed like some consultant in sort of a Ripley from aliens kind of way becomes the most valuable person on the team. And he all, all, you know, and, he, and we kind of see him metamorphosize from like the old man who it seems like his adventure days are over. And then he um, sort of like becomes his, his glory days shine again. Cause I was thinking about this, like I'd say my biggest critique of the movie is that when you think about that Indiana Jones theme, I know last on the last podcast I talked about, well, there were, there was not enough peril in Crystal Skull. Well, it's like, yes, you want the peril, but then you want the triumph. The reason you want the peril is because you get the triumph. And so like in it, when Short Round rescues Dr. Jones, it is a triumphant moment. Those John Williams horns are triumphant. And so I, I kind of felt like we lacked the triumph in this movie. I'm when with you. The, and I like that yeah. pitch. I like that pitch a lot. Yeah. When the Indiana Jones theme kicks in, when we're having the Morocco chase, I'm just like, I, I, I gotta say, I'm not quite feeling it. It's like, this isn't just like exciting music. This is triumphant music. And is Indy really triumphing here? And I, the one other complaint I'll say is like, and I'm kind of surprised you know, 2008 self would be maybe surprised to hear myself say it. But like, I feel like they shouldn't have done uh, Shia LaBeouf so wrong. Oh yeah, that was kind of like uh, that was kind of like Alien 
three, was it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just killing Newt and Michael Bean right at the beginning. I'm just like, really? Really, you're going to do that? Like, I know Crystal Skull's not a favorite, but like, I guess he dies in Vietnam. And I'm just like, how about he joined the Peace Corps and he has a family and he's living on the other side of the world? Yeah, like, like, I, I, like you could, I love the reconnection, not to jump to the end, but the reconnection with yeah. family, the reconnection yeah. with Marion, that you yeah. have a reason to come back. You didn't, yeah. and now you do. He could have been there. Yeah, and, well, and while we're on my rewrite, and I'd love to hear yours too, uh, I don't think we had to save Marion for the end. How about at the beginning, the, you know, they, they're on the rocks. He's on the phone with her. And, you know, almost like, okay, I'm going to pull out a real old ref reference of a movie I haven't seen uh, since the theater, City Slickers. Uh, hey. The whole idea of, like, you've got to go get your smile back. Yeah. And, like, you know, he's at the beginning, he's the grumpy old man banging on the hippie's door. I think he should have been on the phone with Marianne. And, and it's not that their son died, but it's for other reasons. And it's just like, she's like, I'm not, you know, we can't talk until you get your your mojo back or whatever, you, you know, like, and so which, anyhow, which they allude to a little bit. I thought it was a great line where she said, I heard your back. Are you back, Andy? It's kind yeah. of that. Kind of. You can see but the like, granular, I, you can see the DNA of what you're talking about. Just pumping I, that. I, I think they leaned into, I mean, they almost replicated the Han and Leia story from Force Awakens. Like exactly. Right. I thought that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and like, I know the director of Logan, like, I just found myself sitting there thinking, do they think audiences are that cynical right now that we just got to have the downer thing? Because it's kind of downer, you know? And like, I guess like that would be my biggest note of, of the whole thing. Like I would have loved to have a triumphant upswing where, you know, the, the, you know, Indy has this thing where he laughs and he enjoys himself. And like, we didn't really ever get that in the older story. Right. Um, you know, that's yeah. interesting because you're touching on a big note that I had. And I was trying to put it into words and your word triumphant is uh, is great because I wrote down and I wrote it for the action scenes, but maybe it's for the whole thing that that we were missing a little bit of the acrobatic playfulness of Spielberg. There's a way that he puts together an action scene. And I think the way he paces Indy's adventures where there is a playfulness and that's a weird childish word to use. But I think triumphant is 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 maybe more. But you know what I mean? Like when he's getting punched and flipped around and thrown off of trucks and then he sits up and he goes, uh oh, and then he like, you know, and then he achieves what he's supposed to achieve. There's this yeah. like duck and dodge playfulness. And obviously that's for a younger actor to play more. But yeah. this was missing that playfulness yeah. overall. For me. And I think that's what I'm feeling. My my version of that rewrite was I was interested to know that in this film, he was not hired or backed by the government. He's a lone wolf. And I think, you know, Temple of Doom, he's kind of painted into a corner to go do his own thing. But for the most part, there's usually a, a, a very wealthy benefactor or the government saying, we need you, Indy. And this was yeah. just him deciding to do it. And I thought it would have been interesting that, you know, yeah. we, have, we have the CIA chasing him, which we suddenly understand it is a splintered group that some of them are CIA and some of them are nefarious. Uh, it would have been interesting if the CIA, uh, once that split happens, they go to Indy and they say, look, yeah, we know you're wanted for murder, but guess what? We had some bad apples in our group. You're right. That guy was a Nazi. Mustache man. He looks like he's turning into a Nazi. We don't know. His <laughs> deal. He's shooting yeah. everybody 
you know, that that black woman, uh, my my kids were like, man, why'd she have to die? She was such a cool character. Like, I know. I know. Uh, but then you've got then you've maybe got Helena and that woman. But, you know, you turn around, and you go, all right, Indy, we're sorry you're wanted for murder. We'll clear you of that if you help us go stop this Nazi. You know, like then there's this flip where he's working for the CIA. Um, that was my thought. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, in a way, I think we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about like, uh, you know, his team, it, it was kind of also a little bit surprising that um, we'd introduce these great characters and then they just get killed in stone cold murder. It's like, well, <laughs> you, know, you know, like I was sitting next to this young Latino couple at the theater and, you know, we made a little chit chat before the movie and they, this sweet young couple with their kids and uh when antonio banderas came on screen that the dad sitting next to me got so excited he's like that's antonio banderas and he was like i heard him talking to his wife and they were like pumped they're like oh he looks old you know like i could just see feel the energy and then when he got shot this guy said he was he like threw his arms up in the air like what oh no and it's just like i could just feel it i was like oh james mangold i wish you had to sit next to this guy (laughs) like like I get that we want to have peril and we want to have like you know downer moments in the story where it's like the lowest low or whatever, but like I, I was like, well, you know, in the first movie we didn't we didn't kill off Sala, right? You know, like I, I I just felt like they almost swung too hard on the uh, peril on the, side on the of peril. Things. Well, it's like what's wrong with having our team? Anyhow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, and why was it short round on his team? Anyhow, right, right, right. Well, I got a short round thought here, but but I do want to say, yay Helena Shaw and yay yes. Teddy. Last week I said, oh, yeah. we'll never get another short round. We got a short round, and I really like Teddy, and I really like. Yeah. I talked in my opening segment about how you want your hero to have a, a nice balance of other characters around him or her to offset them. And while Indy is an old curmudgeon, you know, you've got the. You, you've got kind of a Han Solo in Helena Shaw. She's in it for the money and she's full of energy and she's cocky and he is so sick of her cockiness. And then you got Teddy, who's kind of a wild card. You don't know if he's going to pickpocket somebody. It, like, So you have these kind of lively younger characters around him. And I liked that there was not like a full bus full of characters like in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where it's like, holy cow, what are there, eight characters in this movie? Like um, yeah. this was like him. Him with a girl and a boy and great, a, a gal, you know, that's, that's very full of youthful energy. And I thought that really played well off of him. Yeah. I mean, they were good. And uh, the, the kid was good. I mean, it, it, it felt like they were definitely working hard to make sure he wasn't too funny because I think audiences can turn on like the funny kid character. I mean, short round is an exception. I think everyone loves short round. Um, but yeah, I thought he was, I think he did well. And uh I think that the third act was pretty awesome. Yeah, let, let's get to that as, as soon as we can. Yeah. I, I did want to say, uh, my two boys, uh, one of their fa- they really loved the movie, and their favorite was uh, I had to learn this word so I could talk about the sequence, the tuk tuk chase. Those little vehicles Ooh. are called tuk tuks, and okay. and while that didn't have the triumphs that you are talking about, it was kind of my favorite sequence as far as how chaotic it was, how exciting it was. And I love the mobster fiance. I thought he was funny. And it was like this extra layer to that her backstory funny. that it's like, yeah. wait a minute. So we're chasing the Nazis, but behind us, we got another set of bad guys. So it created an yeah. interesting layer. Um, that was funny. Yeah. Was so funny. anyway, I, I did like that middle sequence. 
And I love the whole Moroccan thing. I love that we got in a room full of like 30 bad guys from different nations that are all buying artifacts. Yeah, it was interesting. I kind of feel like we could have, we could have Boba fed it in. If you know what I mean by that, we could have eyedroppered in a couple of, you know, old bad guys from Helena's past or Indy's past that we could definitely uh, learn more about later if we were to do the Helena Shaw spinoff movie that some people are asking for. Um, <laughs> but it is a room full of like people from her past and his past. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, and we're getting to the, we're getting to the middle of the movie with the, with the dive. Um, my boys also reacted to, it's hard to top the snakes and the rats and the bugs. And we had to do bugs again for some reason, but the eels were pretty effective. Yeah, that was a neat sequence, the underwater thing. And it felt, as we talked about tablet. last week, about D, uh, CGI glossiness, a lot of moments of this movie felt genuinely photographed. Like, there was a wide shot of the diving boat out on the water. It was a long lens shot, and I was like, dang, that is a grainy long lens real shot of a real boat. Um, yeah, when the bad guys are coming. Yeah, pretty easy to yeah. just do a quick CGI boat on water, but that was... That felt almost like yeah. a shot from Jaws. It was very yeah. 70s looking. And then all I the... Know the part the, you're talking about, yeah. Yeah, and all the diving stuff with the eels was like, if this is CGI, I can't tell. This feels... Again, it felt like Jaws photography. It felt like really grainy, murky underwater photography. And that kind of made it pretty spooky. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. We've never gone underwater in one of these before. It was It was kind of a James Bond move. Right. Um, yeah, I, I was rewatching some of the James Bonds uh, over like sort of lockdown, and I, I have a friend who is younger than me who's like a fanatic for uh, Timothy Dalton. And I, I think I mentioned him before, <laughs> right. my friend Tom. You mentioned, and uh, I, I hadn't seen some of these movies since the since the theater. But the, I, I, the best part of um, uh, the second movie with Dalton, um, um, the Living License to Oh, License, license to Kill. To kill. Yeah, um, the best part, you know, is when he's underwater and they're coming for him and then he like harpoons the, the Cessna and then like zips out of there. Wow. <laughs> it's like it, the movie suddenly gets so exciting uh, because it, you think he's about to get knifed by the bad guys underwater. And then it's like it turns into this thrilling uh, ski uh, scene. And then he like I think he climbs in the plane. And anyhow. It kind of reminded me of that. It, it definitely was like a throwback. Like I felt like I hadn't seen a scene like that in a movie in quite a while. Yeah. And that, and in this part of the movie, I will say my, my favorite artifact, my favorite uh, trick, magic trick artifact was the wax tablet. I did love that. Yeah. That was neat. I had not seen anything like that before. And it involved yeah. uh, Helena and Indy being pretty smart to figure that out. Yes. Yeah, and so like getting to the where, where were they Greece? Uh, yeah, they that whole segment was pretty awesome when they finally get in there and find the other half. I mean, th this is a movie that's gonna. Uh, I think it's gonna justify viewing again. Like like sometimes you just kind of got to figure out what a movie is, right? Before you can enjoy it, you know, uh, uh, completely. You know, just sort of like what you're in for. And I gotta say, yeah. as a, as yeah. a MacGuffin, Archimedes dial. The perfect size to put in Indy's side satchel that he always carries. Yeah. Perfect. But pretty yeah, darn big, way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Really interesting. And so, like, when they, 
it just started to feel pretty mysterious. Like, okay, what is going to happen with this dial? How are they going to do it? And they did a good job hiding it in the marketing when the, the idea of like flying through a, a rainstorm at night and then, and then coming out into the bright of day. And then just, you think you're in a World War II battle and then just the surprise. It blew my, that, I tell you, it blew yeah. my mind. It, 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 it gave me a surprise exciting. I didn't think I would have. Yeah, pretty exciting. And like the whole warning of like, you went to the wrong, you know, whatever. You know, like that's just classic, you know, like he's the one that figures it out before they do. Yeah, I can't even remember. Like, what was it that he said? The the reason why he, he knows they got their math wrong. Continental drift. Yeah, yeah. You didn't yeah, account for continental drift. Um, yeah. I, and I have to stop here because when he gets shot in the shoulder, I did think, oh, they're going to use the dial, or Helena is going to have to use it to go back to this moment to save his life. But that was kind of Last Crusade, and it's you know, it's like that yeah. Galaxy Quest moment where you use that moment to jump back. But they just kind of shot him just so that he was more damaged, I guess. And then, and I want to know from you, why do you think that the villain goes, bring him with us? Why did they bring him with them? Why didn't they leave him there in the cave of of Dionysius? I mean, I'm sure that there's a line in there, something that made sense of it. Maybe it's just because he knew he was a good consultant. Uh, it could have been as simple as the villain saying, I want him to see his failure, you know, like, yeah, I mean, but they, uh, but Vicky and I were sitting there beside each other going, why is, why are they dragging him with them? All they wanted to do was be rid of him. Um, yeah, like maybe yeah. Indy can read the dial in a way he can't, but I didn't have a reason for that. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, all that aside, the, 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 the climax of actually being in ancient times and to being in the moment where Archimedes is going to walk up to him. Um, yeah. blew my mind and I think my, my boys are reviewing kind of they have this ongoing discussion of what are the best time travel films they really like Bill and Ted they feel like there's a completeness to it they have problems with the holes in some other things even Endgame and Back to the Future of when does what happen because if both things don't happen in the past and the future this adventure doesn't happen and in this yeah. movie it's kind of that uh, you know not to spoil Terminator for anybody who hasn't seen it but there's a perfect loop in this movie yeah there's a movie that um my son had us watch it was like this indie movie gosh i'm not remembering the name of it right now but it's like a complete was it time uh, crimes no time crimes is a good one it's from the 90s it's a very low budget movie but it's written by someone who's obviously like got like some kind of like background in uh quantum physics or something It, it it almost makes your head spin how accurate the time travel is like the perfect loop yeah i mean that's it doesn't break either timeline because they but what blew my mind is they're looking at a propeller carved in the side of archimedes tomb they're looking at a watch that they have yet to give him (laughs) you know it's crazy yeah yeah that's interesting i mean and and i really thought that we were gonna see indy die there Uh, i did too yeah they really set us up I was sort of remembering what was the movie in Star Trek where Captain Kirk finally dies. It just felt like it was setting us up for that kind of moment. Well, what a, Uh, what a, I started to go with it when he said, leave me here. I thought, Oh my gosh, are they going to do this? It's the most poetic thing. This guy who has, you know, rescued artifacts through history is literally going to disappear into history. But then when she punches him and I was like, yeah, that's the right choice. Like, like, 
I thought this is like the cinematic adventure movie version of the meme of uh, let's get you home, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like, yeah, it was pretty funny. I was, I was very moved by the way we've never seen Indiana Jones be this moved by, by to see history. You, you saw that he really loves history. He really loves artifacts. He's this old professor and he's getting to witness something with his own eyes that he, he studied. Finally gets together. Yeah. He studied his whole life. And to see him cry about that, that was really cool. Yeah. I thought it was I thought, a neat moment. So yeah. he got that at least. Yeah, they finished strong. Uh, it was a great third act. Um, Not to get technical, but how hard did Helena have to punch that guy? Who's taken a thousand punches, by the way. <laughs> you always think about, it's like, yeah, I guess he, he's old. She punched him to unconsciousness, and he's clearly been out for, like, a couple days. Maybe they got him full of drugs. It was definitely a B.A. Baracus moment. <laughs> Get him on a plane. Make him drink his milk. He'll die before he flies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a sad, melancholy uh, feel uh, when he's all busted up at the end. And, like, you know, it's cool that Harrison Ford was down for it. He wasn't trying to make himself look uh, invincible. He they, they really paint a sort of older indie. I, I saw him in an interview saying, you know, it's the worst he's ever looked in, in his whole film career. You know, but he was kind of, like, signed up for it. Wow. Well, to yeah. be very, very vulnerable, and the first shot of him is in nothing but his boxers. I'm like, dang, man. Yeah, I thought that was great. I thought it was, a, I mean, that scene I thought was great. Well, and and, and to bring Marion back in, you know, we I, I thought your rewrite was great that you pitched. But having <laughs> the movie we have, um, yeah. I got to tell you, I got choked up at the end. Yeah, I mean, you always, as a screenwriter, you're always going to play these games of like imagining, like, okay, what would what would they do? What would you do if they brought it to you? What's working? What 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 would you? Well, the whole thing of like tweak. Where doesn't it hurt, Indy? Well, kiss me here, kiss me on the elbow. Yeah, and that they brought that back at first. When I realized it was happening, I was like, oh my gosh, are they really doing this? And then it was like, yeah. really worked. It really worked. It was clever. Yeah, it was clever. Uh, I I think everybody felt good about it. Um, it was like a strong ending whatever shortcomings the movie had it's like i just i think that uh they did a lot of things right and it just seems like it's a good send-off for the character and i think that there are just some movies that like on multiple viewings they kind of get better yeah um, I'm, I'm really interested yeah. to see this a second and third time and to see it when it comes on home video uh if that's even a term anymore uh, but in my home, I think it's going to appreciate when you take off, as we talked about in the beginning of the hour, when you take away the expectation, uh, the huge expectation and anticipation, and it just becomes yeah. one of the Indiana Jones movies. When I when I I had to kind of do that psychological voodoo on myself and say, listen, how do you like this as an Indiana Jones movie? Forget that it's yeah. his last. Forget that you've waited 10 more years for this. Um, yeah. Then I was like, yeah. It was great. I loved it. Well, I mean, we all have these notes of, of things we want to yeah. do in it, but it was great. I always had this kind of like uh, theory uh, when I saw The Village. This is a little bit of a digression, but like it kind of goes with what we're talking about. The movie, you know, the M. Night movie, The Village, when it came out, I remember people sort of like not liking the twist. Yeah, where you find out that the monsters, because all the marketing for that movie was about how the, the there are monsters that live outside of this um, 
you know, this little Puritan village in the 1900s or whatever. And then the big twist. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna spoil. The We're gonna village. spoil it if you haven't seen the village. Here we it's go. It's been out for 20 years, so yep. maybe you should have seen it by now. But uh, if you're if you hey, person, I've still kept I've kept the sixth sense for my kids. We're gonna watch it soon. Okay. Well, maybe I won't, I, I won't say what the spoil is, but I'll just say that like I remember in the theater people feeling disappointed by it. I thought that the twist was pretty great, pretty genius. And at that point, I sort of developed a theory about movies, about the, the, and the movie I picked was another Harrison Ford movie, The Fugitive. And what I said was, I think every opening weekend audience wants The Fugitive, <laughs> uh, some version of The Fugitive. They want a smart, movie star driven uh, movie that just like cooks and just like delivers and has twists and just like excitement and chases and stunts and just like thrills and like and, and like i think that i i always like looked at the fugitive as like that sort of quintessential just like tight uh beautiful opening weekend experience when you go to the movies and like you know we have versions of that you know like whether it be like you know avengers endgame or whatever like where you're just kind of just sort of fed this adrenaline um and then when a movie is different than that like the village where you're sort of like being told a story that's going to have some twists and like, Hey, guess what? The marketing for this movie you've seen for the last six months that we were doing some deliberate misdirects and like an audience can get irritated by that. But then when you revisit that movie and it just becomes a story and a movie that, you know, and you see it a few times in your life, it can really get interesting. And, and, and like we're, we're on a rewatch. It's, it's kind of like, it becomes its own thing. And like the pressure of opening weekend is off. I love that. And so I, I, to me, like Dial of Destiny might be one of those movies where it's like there was so much pressure on this movie, but to revisit it, um, you know, two years from now, it's just like, this is a story about Indiana Jones when he's much older. It's like, it's an interesting story and it's got great twists and uh, great sequences. And so I think that's kind of where I, I'm landing with it. Yeah. Hey, and, and uh, you know, we talked about that, that Harrison Ford claims, you know, this is it for me. And the, and the character ends with me. Let's talk about the ending shot. I don't know that I would have uh, done an iris down to the hat, but the ending shot oh. is the hat on a clothesline. By the way, hat owners, that's not how you take care of a hat. You don't hang your hat <laughs> on a clothesline. But um, I thought that that's perfect. He has hung up his hat, but then he grabs the hat and I'm like, does that mean he's going to keep on going? I, was, I don't know. I was kind of like, I, leave the hat is what I thought. I thought it was a little peculiar that the hat got snatched. Uh, <laughs> and then I, my, I'm not sure what they're getting at with that. And then my wife and I are they're... like, are he and Marion having, having lovey, sexy times? And she was like, you need to put the hat on. Maybe that's what we're getting at. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what we're getting know. at, I'm even more uh, uncomfortable. Uh well, yeah, I, it was interesting. Hey, so like so I got I got yeah. one more rewrite. I got one more rewrite because we both expressed yeah. our love for short round. Yes, I think it's an incredible disservice that this was Key Hai Kwan's year. He won yeah. an Oscar. There's there's yeah. maximum love for him. He's at a fever pitch, and it was such a misstep to not put him in this movie, especially when we're bringing Sala back for the third time, and yeah. and it's all about the family you have around him. So here's my biggest pitch. You take okay. all those Sala scenes. I think there's two of them. Maybe there's three. 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Sala rescues him in a taxi cab. We find out that yeah. Indy brought him and his family to America. Sala yeah. drives him to the airport, says, good luck. I could go with you. He says, no, I got to do this on my own. And at the end, he brings in his grandkids with him. And he's still yeah. telling stories about Indy. You take those Sala scenes and you directly replace them with a uh, short round as an adult. And it all works. Yeah. It still works. And I think you okay. have even a bigger emotional reaction that Indy or, brought short round to America. And he's now a, yeah. an immigrant running a taxi cab. He's a New York citizen and he has children. I think that just makes my heart fill. And I really am yeah. sad. I love Sala, but, you know. An, a, Maybe there's a way to keep him in there in some of the scenes as well. Uh, it starts to fill up. But, yeah, like. That's a great note. I mean, like I, John Reese Davies is great, and like I, I, it was neat to see him. But like, audiences would have freaked out if if they'd have brought him back. Yeah, I think. Uh, or, or yeah. let's say you keep Sala at the beginning or something, and then yeah. at the end when Marion's coming in with the groceries, uh, there's Kihai Kwan. There's short round helping with the groceries with his two kids. Like, well, holy what a, crap, when you, man! When you started talking, I thought you were going to say, let's have Sala and Short Round working together. They run a cab company together. That's funny. Yeah. And just add like a, a you know, re- do a little reshoot and an extra couple scenes where it's like they're kind of his home base team. Guys, uh, Hollywood Studios, as Todd just said, yeah. we're available, guys. We're available. Yeah. Call I us. mean, yeah, yeah. It, it, we're talking like four scenes. Come on. You already yeah. spent a, a $300 million. Just like spend an extra million. Uh, capitalize on the love for Kihai Kwan. <laughs> I, I think that's a good note. I like hey, it. Hey, listen, and and if they if they okay, so if they say, look, we're going to stay away from Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones, but but uh, Helena Shaw, maybe it's a limited series. Maybe that takes the the stakes off of it. That Helena goes back out. She's a treasure hunter. She's in it for the money. Honestly, I was surprised that she didn't grow from I'm in it for the cash to I'm in it for the love and for this guy. I think we got that in a very subtle way. But I was really surprised that we didn't pay that off where she had to choose Indy over a payday or something. Agreed. Agreed. Um, but yeah, if, if you went on to have other adventures, maybe that's where you bring in uh, a grown-up short round. Um, you know, you could bring in parts of Indy. Audiences cast. want it. And, like, I remember reading uh, – people have so many opinions out there. But I remember someone just sort of, like – someone had posted, like, a, a mock-up. Uh, poster of like short round, you know, like like I, I've seen it several times where someone's like, "Hey, Lucasfilm, how about this limited series short round?" Right. Um, and someone got on there and was just like chastising this person, saying like, "You expect him to go back to this role that he was known for as a kid, and uh, don't you think he wants to grow and do other stuff?" And I was just like, "Oh, please!" Like this is like. I think what I think what Kiai Kwan probably wants is to, to to do big movies and like who's to say you can't let the character grow up? Let's see the adult version. Like, like I'm sure that he would be thrilled to to re, you know he's not playing him as he was as a child. It's a it's a it's a grown character version, you know. Yeah. And I, I just thought this person who's critiquing this like, do you not know how the business works? Like this is actually a great idea, I think. You know, to to let him. Uh, you know, step into you know it would be it would be kind of a new character, really. Yeah. Like, it would what be, is he like as an adult? It would be exciting. Well, you know what that is. What we're talking about is an Indiana Jones cinematic universe, which everybody's so hungry to create. But is that even relevant? And that's how I wanted to end this. I know we're at the end of yeah. we're coming to the end of our hour, but you know, Indiana Jones is one of those holdouts from our childhood, as we discussed. 
uh, we are trying to bring him into the 15-year-olds, the 20-year-olds of today. Is the adventure genre dead? Is he just? Are we just nostalgically bringing it back, or do you think there is a a need for it? I I have my opinions, but I'm a 54-year-old guy, so you know maybe I'm just looking at old-fashioned stories that I want to bring back. But I have a couple of movies that I've pitched and a, a script I've written yeah. that is very yeah. old-fashioned Indiana Jonesy kind of adventure. Um, yeah. and I have to come to terms with maybe people don't want that. Maybe they want robot suits and mech wars and stuff. We've got one too. Uh, that's based on a book series that we've actually, we actually started developing this project in 2010. So it's been like a, uh, wow. Many years developed. And I, I will say, I mean, not to spoil that one. Like it's something that I hope gets made eventually, but, um, it has ingredients of indiana jones but it's also got a lot of different other kinds of ingredients um like there are modern modern touches to it yes like national like you would say national treasure is an adventure movie even though it is set in the modern world it pulls in history it pulls in old-fashioned classic adventure tropes but like what like like we're going to talk about we're going to talk about the mission impossible movies coming up on this show but but those movies, they're kind of adventure movies, but why are they not? That's what I'm trying to get at. What makes it an adventure movie? Well, our project has a touch of almost, I'd say, like mainstream Wes Anderson. Okay. Um, there's a little whimsy and design to it and character quirk that, um, uh, anyhow, that, that, that's all I'll say about that one. But like, I, I have kind of come to this... Uh, belief that like we are in living in a post visual effects world uh everybody's seen it all and i think what 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 people really care about now are characters and i i don't know maybe i shared this on your podcast before forgive me if i did but like um with the last jurassic park i mean yeah uh uh uh, i I gotta admit i have not seen it but um (laughs) with the marketing I just remember when that first trailer hit and I'm old enough to remember that like in 1990 or whatever, 91, whenever Jurassic Park came out, like it was all about the, the, the blowing people's minds with these dinosaurs. We'd never seen anything like this on screen before. And then cut to 30 some years later uh, and people's minds are getting blown by the fact that we have the three actors together. You know, yeah. it's like we've got Jeff Gold, Jeff Goldblum and, and, and um, Sam Neill, Sam Neill. And, yeah. We, and Laura Dern, we've got them together and that's what's blowing people's minds in 2022. Because we've seen so, the dinosaurs. I'll give you another comparison. Independence yeah. day. We're watching, we're watching, uh, you know, the empire state building and the white house blow up. We'd never seen it in that kind of stark reality yeah. before. It blew our minds. Right. And then Independence Day Resurgence, this long-awaited sequel comes out. And guess what? We've seen everything blow up. We've seen all the yeah. dinosaurs. We've seen all the aliens. Yeah. It, 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 that's not... It, and, and so what that's missing is Will Smith. Yeah. It's like, oops. That's the character yeah, that's the we wanted to, to see. But then at the same time... <laughs> we have a movie star problem in our industry. And I, I've been reading a lot about this lately. Like the industry has not been cultivating new movie stars. We've got a few of them, but Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya cannot save the whole industry. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? They can yeah. make a few movies, but like, 
I, it's a little weird. Like I'm trying to think like who is the, it's like outside of like maybe like Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, Chris, you know. But, Chris but, Pratt has been doing okay. He's been doing okay, but he's in his 40s. And like, it's just kind of like, where are the 20 something movie stars? We've only got a few of them. Yeah. And it, it's a problem that the industry has to figure well, out. Well, do you think that, like, do you think that loops back around to creating characters over cool blowing up VFX yeah, driven Yeah, because we live in the post visual effects world where like even YouTube videos have stunning visual effects, you know, like, like that's just the world we live in now. So it's, it's like you, there's a, there's a level of expertise and design that is expected. It's like, that's a given, but what are you going to put on top of that? And I think it's just like characters and stories that we care about. So, so I think it may be, maybe even to say your movie star problem is almost let's get an iconic charismatic actor and give them an iconic charismatic character that we would follow whether they were uh, going on a road trip or whether they were flying a spaceship because they are stories we care about. I I mean, and that's the kind of stuff I'm trying to do in the projects I'm developing. I'm trying to, I mean, nobody can just create an iconic character out of thin air, but that's where my brain is going. Uh, You know, and um, that's what, you know, I talk about all the time. Well, I think that that's what that's the problem. Star Wars is is finally realizing Um, it's not about bringing back old characters. It's not about face mapping young Luke Skywalker or blowing up an even bigger planet. The Mandalorian is the most successful new Star Wars thing because he is an iconic. uh, He is he is a Clint Eastwood for Star Wars. He is an iconic badass. And I think that's what we're dying for. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I mean that—that's uh, so. Like I said at the beginning of this conversation, the the Hollywood industry—it's like history is being made, kind of every with every season. And um, so, like, yeah, Mission Impossible coming up, Barbie, Oppenheimer, these are the three big movies left this summer. It's going to be really interesting to see how the public uh, goes for them. I, I feel like people are really going to go for all three of them. Yeah. Yeah, in different there, and, and what, what incredibly different flavors are being offered, you know? Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, and I and I think yeah. they're all driving people to the theater, which is another big head scratcher for the industry. Is like last summer, I mean, like Maverick, it was like we're back, and then now we're like, are we back? So it's an interesting time. Yeah, and there's a lot on Tom Cruise's shoulders. <laughs> Uh, 60 year old Tom Cruise still like you know gonna get himself killed uh, uh, with yeah the, honestly I, I know you guys are gonna talk about it next week um, but like yeah I mean there's only one of him and whatever your issues might be with him personally like what he does on screen there's nobody else like him yeah where's our uh, new Tom Cruise where's our new Jackie Chan where's our new Harrison Ford we really don't have them. And honestly, and they might, like, where's they might the, be out there somewhere? Where's our new Julia Roberts? Where's our new Meryl Streep? Like, um, I uh, we got to find them. And but I think I think it's not just finding those people. It's it's giving those people something to do. I think that's what we're saying. And I think yeah. that maybe uh, I, we didn't solve what makes an adventure movie. But I think the difference is maybe technology being used yes. over uh, stunts and brains, or I don't know, because you wouldn't call, well, yeah. Tom Cruise, I, you wouldn't call Mission Impossible an adventure movie, but well, I think that's our reaction to Crystal Skull is they brought in technology at the end. Well, uh, I think 
you know, the, the other thing that I'm kind of surprised doesn't get talked about very much is like, it's the technology of home uh, theaters, basically, and, and HD television. Like, like I talk to my, my kids about this all the time where it's like, you don't get it. Like, like, like there's a reason why when I was in high school, I went and saw The Untouchables in the theater like 10 times and I saw Die Hard 10 times. It's because you knew that once it leaves the theater, I will never have this experience again. Yeah, like VHS is not going to be the same thing, and uh, we're going to be watching it in SD. Like we had no <laughs> idea that the, the HD era was coming, and I remember it so vividly. It, it was when my son was had just been born, and I went out and bought my first HD television and my first Blu-ray player. I remember looking at Close Encounters, and there were a couple other Blu-rays I bought uh, right there. Whenever that was, two thousand seven. And it was just like, oh my gosh, we have entered a new era. I am looking at, for the first time in my life, I am looking at a cinema quality image in my home. And so that has changed the industry. And I'm like shocked at how much we don't hear about it. But it's like, well, that's why people stay home. It's like, and these TV shows, they're not just TV shows anymore. It's a cinematic experience. And it's like, I get that it's a little sad that we don't get adult dramas at the theater a whole lot, but we definitely are getting them at home. Yeah. Uh, you know, so anyhow, it's just, it's a new world. And so like, you can't measure it against, uh, I, I guess it's like, you, you want the industry to make money. That's how everyone gets paid. That's how this thing, but I, I think that's kind of, you know, bringing it back to the strike. I think that's where some of this, uh, like, I think it's a problem when you just hand it all over to the corporations because there's not a love for cinema there's not a love for stories. Um, there's a love for money. And right. It's, it's really messing with the industry in, in an unprecedented way right now. Right. The, pe like, the, the people who make the cinema have to love cinema. And I think that that will make product that I, we just need to regenerate the culture to love to go to the cinema, literally, like literally go to that big movie house. And I don't know if it'll ever be the same again, but I think that it's like we just have to design the the movies we want in theaters to be more uh big screen events yeah and then we enjoy our dramas at home i guess yeah i mean that's how it's kind of been but when you you know we also got to be careful not to train the public to uh just wait i mean those windows between theatrical and home uh are too small right agreed I mean, like, that's a probably like, a, a topic yeah. for another podcast but uh um, <laughs> I'm glad you were able to talk to yeah. me about this new Indiana Jones and, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again, as we say, with second viewing eyes and into the future. I think it'll appreciate. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's fun to talk about. Well, that's it. That's our show for this week. I'd like to thank my guest and brother, Todd Edwards, writer, director, and indie fan, for talking Indiana Jones one more week and for talking through the brand new movie, the brand new adventure, Dial of Destiny. I do think as we watch it more in the coming months and years, it's going to be one of those adventures we want to revisit again and again. Good job, Indy. Thanks for sticking around this long. Um, and before I let you go, I did want to remind you, since it's been a while since we've had the podcast out, uh, that I do have a dry bar comedy special 
that I want to invite you to go find. It's on drybarcomedy.com or the Drybar Comedy app. You can get lots of comedians on there, lots of great comedians. And you can also see me and my special Munchkin Cops. And if you do subscribe for their monthly service, use my code Corey Comedy. That's C-O-R-Y-C-O-M-E-D-Y. And you get a free month of the subscription service. Even though I can't say the word subscription, you will get that. And uh, a half-hour comedy special. Until next week, have your own adventure. Stay creative. I'm Corey Edwards. Thanks for stopping by.